Now we are on a journey. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. And our purpose and aim of going through the book of Acts is to draw out a partnership. A partnership that the Lord Jesus offers us. A partnership that God the Father offers us. And that is a partnership between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and us. And we have been on this exciting journey, journeying through the book of Acts. As we, Acts, as we draw out this partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to be able to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, today I'm going to look at a few verses in Acts 12. Um, I didn't do any PowerPoints, forgive me for that. But if you listen carefully, and you can listen to my accent, then you can be able to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> It reads in Acts 12.1, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now immediately we look at that text, there are three characters we are introduced to. We are introduced for a character called King Herod. We are also introduced for an, to another character called James, who, who they say is the brother to John, and another character called Peter. I just want to mention something small on each of those characters. The King Herod that we are talking about here is not the same King Herod who gave approval for the, for the, for the death of Jesus, for the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the grandson of that Herod. Now, Herod is not his name. Herod is just a title, the way you will say prime minister or president. His name was actually Agrippa. <laughs> now, this is the grandson to Herod, who is actually giving an order for James to be executed. Now, who is James? Now, we, we hear of James a lot in the scriptures. In the epistles of Mark and, and Matthew and John, we hear about James, but we don't actually hear him speak audibly. He's kind of a silent apostle of Jesus. They write a lot about Peter, John, and James, but we don't hear anywhere in the scripture where actually James is speaking. No words of James have been recorded, not to my knowledge. But James was one of the apostles of Jesus. He walked with Jesus day by day as he ministers. There is very few moments where you find Jesus without James there or John or Peter. He was kind of what you will call the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. But every time James is mentioned, he's referred to as the brother of John, or the brother to John. The two of them were the sons of Zebedee. And if you recall your Bible stories clearly, their mother was Salome, one of the women who accompanied Jesus 
everywhere she went, ministering to him and the, and the apostles, their physical needs, like providing food and providing water and stuff like that. Now, there are some moments that we read about James in the scripture. We read about him at this time when Jesus went to Samaria, and Jesus was not received very well in Samaria. And we, hear, we, 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 we read of James and John asking Jesus, can we call fire down from heaven so that it can consume the Samaritans because they are not receiving the gospel? And Jesus rebuked them and told them, I'm not going to do that. Another moment we hear of James is when their mother Salome comes to Jesus and she falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships Jesus. And Jesus seeing through her, asks her, what do you want from me? And Salome, the mother of James, tells Jesus, I want you to let my two sons, one to sit at your right, another one to sit at your left when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus tells Salome, you do not know what you are asking. Can your sons drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can they be baptized in the same baptism I'm going to be baptized in? And James and John quickly say, yes, 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 we will. And Jesus, reflecting on that, looks at them and says, yes, indeed, you are going to be baptized in the baptism I'm going to be baptized in. Yes, indeed, you are going to suffer the cup I'm going to suffer in. But to sit at the right-hand side and the left-hand side is not for me, but it's determined by the Father in heaven. Now, James must have been really remembering these words as he was locked up in prison. Locked up because of his ministry of the gospel of Jesus. Now Herod has captured him. At this time in our journey, if you've been following us, there is great persecution that has come up in the church. And, and Paul, who has been persecuting Christians, he's now being converted at this time. But Herod and all the Jews are seeking after Christians, taking them from their worship, taking them from their home and putting them in prison. And James falls victim of this. Now, this is not actually the first time James is being arrested and put in prison. If you remember in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested and taken to prison. But in the middle of the night, an angel came. He opened the, 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 the cells and they went out. And the following day, when the rulers of the, of the Jews came to find out where they were, they realized that they are in the courtyard preaching. And they rebuked them, saying, you are no longer going to speak in this name. And they told them, we are going to listen to God and not you. We will continue preaching the gospel. And the Bible says at the end of chapter 5 that they continued day by day, meeting in households, preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now this has got James in trouble again for preaching the gospel of Jesus. I can easily do a sermon today on the persecuted church using this message of James being killed, of Christians being persecuted. But I'm not going to do a message on persecution. I know there are guys here, especially Pam and Magnus, who have a, a great heart for the persecuted church. But I'm not going to speak about the persecuted church this morning. Rather, I just want to reflect on the disappointment that might have happened to James at this time, at his hour of need. 
At this time, James is in prison. His expectation, I believe, was that the prison doors are going to open, and yet again, he's going to walk out. His expectation was that the Jesus that he had served, the Jesus that he is worshiping, is going to come through for him. But hour after hour, minute after a minute, goes by, but there is nothing that is happening. Probably even in the middle of the night, James was not sleeping. He might have been praying. He might have been praising. He might have been singing. But he was hoping that any minute in time, God is going to show up and he's going to rescue him. But seconds turned into minutes. Minutes turned into hours. Hours probably turned into days. But then there was that moment where he was walked outside by the soldiers. And his head was laid on a piece of wood. And his head was chopped off. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you prayed? What do you do when your expectation of your heavenly father to come into your rescue, your heavenly father to come for your defense, what do you do when that doesn't happen? It is a great, great disappointing moment. And as if that wasn't enough, Herod looks at it and he sees that this has pleased the Jews. Why does this please the Jews? Because this was a new religion. This was a new thing that was actually kind of saying no more keeping of rules and regulation. And the authority, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, the body of the Jewish community, the body of the Jewish church, were against this new faith because it was kind of shaking everything up. And because they had killed Jesus and this religion was kind of continuing on, they wanted to suppress it. So by James being killed, they were so delighted. And Herod, seeing that they are so delighted because James has been killed, went on and seized Peter. Now Peter, if we read his story, Peter wasn't someone you could take lightly. The apostles really esteemed Peter highly. Peter was kind of the leader who was leading the team of apostles. If you are in New Frontiers, you might liken Peter to someone like David Devinish at the moment, who is leading the churches that are coming into New Frontiers. So he was like the big kahuna in town. And then Herod, because he has seen that the death of James has pleased the Jews, he goes to seize Peter and put him in prison. But this time round, the Christian community, they know very clearly what is coming their way. They know that James has just been beheaded, and there is a very good chance that Peter is going to be beheaded. The only reason that Herod doesn't behead Peter immediately is because it was during the festival of unleavened bread. This was a festival that would spread out like for seven days during Passover. And it was a very holy, a, a, a holy ceremony, a holy observation by the Jewish community that they didn't want to shed blood during that time. And this Herod, because he had studied the culture of the Jewish people, he wouldn't do anything during that festival. So he had planned to wait until the end of this Passover, then bring Peter out and behead him. 
Now times of disappointment has arose to the church. But thank God for this church. Because this church did not go into panic mood. This church did not go into giving up. This church did not go into complaining and whining. But this church got on their knees and started to pray. The Bible says that they were earnestly praying for Peter. Their setback did not deter their determination to continue seeking after God, knowing that God is going to come through. Disappointment is the sadness. It is the sadness that we feel when the fulfillment of our expectations is not met. And we feel that sometimes, even us as Christians. There are moments in our lives that we are disappointed. There are moments in our lives that we ask, where is God? Why did you not come through? How can we deal with such moments? I'm sure James was dealing with disappointment when he realized that he is going to be beheaded. Now, disappointment will happen to you as a believer. As you journey through your Christian life, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed by people. You will be disappointed by circumstances. But if you don't check disappointment in your life, it will get you into a culture of blame. It will get you to a place whereby you will completely stop believing God. Because you will not trust God to come for you. You will not trust God to come through in time of need. The enemy wants you not to deal with the disappointment so that he can make you an unbeliever. He can diminish your faith. And as a Christian, we need to check day by day that our disappointment does not turn into unbelief. So how can we know that we are victims of disappointment? You will know that you have become a victim of disappointment when you lack enthusiasm for the things of God. Do you remember that moment where you used to be so hot for God? Do you remember that moment where you used to be so excited when you are going to church? Do you remember that moment where you used to wake up in the middle of the night and just start praying and praising? Do you still have that moment? It might be as a result that there is disappointment in your life that you haven't dealt with. Another way to identify disappointment, are you an aggressive person? When someone comes to you with an annoying question that they've been asking over and over and you've answered them over and over and they are not getting it, or they come to you teasing you about your faith, do you really get annoyed and rubbed off on the wrong side and feel like you have to be defensive? It feels like you are annoyed. You need to check because you haven't recognized the goodness of God enough in your life to tell that person, you know what? Regardless of what is happening, regardless of what you are challenging me, I know who my God is. I know who my Father is. Might it be 
that there is hidden disappointment. But thank God for Jesus because he wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to get rid of disappointment. He wants us to soar ahead and know the fruits that can be found in him. So how can we be an overcomer? The first thing that we need to do to be overcomers is to be very honest with God. Now, this is a point in life whereby we need to take to get rid of all our religious brands that we have branded ourselves. All our religious kind of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Our religious goodness that we know of. You know, there is this face sometimes we put on. And we say, I cannot say that because I am a Christian. I cannot behave like that because I'm a Christian. So we hide under the shield of I am a Christian not to be able to communicate what is in our heart. Now, for us to be able to get rid of disappointment, we really have to be honest with God. So we are not going to approach God and pretend that oh, we are so good, everything is just fine. Such and such a thing happened, but it is okay. As if God doesn't know what is going on in our hearts. This is the time that we really need to be honest and tell God, God, this is where I am. This is the pain I'm going through. This is the suffering that I'm going through. This thing that happened in my life, this is how it is making me feel. And we have to be honest, to pour out our heart to God, to tell him, God, I feel this is not right. I don't feel right in myself. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to experience this. But this is how I feel. Because unless we are honest, we cannot sort out the disappointments in our lives. As we are being honest we will be able to come to that place of realizing that this is a lie that the enemy has been feeding me. And we will be able to renounce that lie and open the communication lines with God so that we can be able to hear him when he speaks to us. If we pretend that we are so good and we cannot be able to pour out our hearts or speak our hearts. We will end up feeding this disappointment. If you get stuck on an island with two dogs, I know there are big lovers of dogs in this room. If you happen to get stuck on an island with two dogs, one of these dogs is so sweet and bubbly, it comes around you for cuddles and you, you give it food and it's throw the ball, they run, they go pick the ball, and so good. The other dog is so aggressive. Every time you go near, it bites you. If a year later, you are still on the same island, and the horrible dog is still alive, the only explanation is you've been feeding it. So don't feed the dog of disappointment. If you don't feed the dog of disappointment, it will die. The only reason that the dog of disappointment will be alive in your life is because you keep feeding it. You keep feeding it. 
And that is why the Bible tells us that we need to renew our minds every day. Eric spoke very well about this a few weeks ago. You can look on the website for that talk. We need to keep renewing our minds because the enemy keeps on bringing dirt and rubbish into our mind. And if we are not in that process of cleaning our minds day by day, we will continue feeding the dog of disappointment. And at the end of the day, it will kill us. So we either kill the dog of disappointment or at some point in our life, it is going to kill us. When we do business with God, we will come to that place whereby we will open lines of communication and because there is no disappointment, God will start getting through to our hearts and speaking to us. Not only must we be honest with God, but we must realize that Our God is good. There is one fundamental thing in life as a Christian, which whatever you do, you you must make sure that it is really rooted down in your heart. And that is God is good. Whatever you do, get that really cemented and rooted down in your life. Because from that basis, you will be able to handle disappointment. Because the first excuse that the enemy gives, the first arrow that the enemy throws is to tell you, your God is not good. Your God doesn't love you. Your God doesn't care. Your God is not coming through for you. But if you have got that down, rooted in you, that my God is good, then regardless of the circumstances and the situation around you, you know that my God is good and my God will come through for me. He might not come through the way I want. He might not come through the time I want. But I know for sure that my God will come through for me. Moses had an experience of this. The people of Israel had rebelled in Exodus chapter 33, and they had rebelled, and God told them, told Moses, go tell the children of Israel, let them go to the land that I have prepared them, the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going with them, because if I go with them, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses went on his knees, interceding for the children of Israel, and he made this stand at Mount Horeb. And Moses was going in this tent every day to pray for the children of Israel. And God brought a cloud that covered that area with his presence where the tent was. And Moses will go in the tent. And as the children of Israel saw Moses going in the tent, they will kneel at their tents and they will pray before God. Now God came and told Moses, Moses, my presence is going to go with you and I'm going to give you rest. And Moses said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want to leave this place. We will stay here. You have to go with us. And God told Moses, Moses, I know you by name, and I am pleased with you. And Moses told God, God, show me your glory. And the Lord told Moses, no man can ever see me and live. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to hide you in a cliff. I'm going to hide you in the rock. And I will cause my goodness to pass around you and you will see me at the back. Moses asked for the glory of God. And God told him, Moses, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass around you. 
What are we seeking daily? Oh, we are seeking the glory of God. God, will you come and break through this situation? Oh, God, will I? Will you come in power and heal me? Oh, God, I'm suffering as a result of depression. Will you come with your glory? Can I see your glory? And God is saying, no, you are not going to see my glory. You can see my goodness in your life. And we have focused ourselves on the glory of God saying, I want to see the glory. And God is saying, no, because if you see my glory, you're going to die. But I'm going to show you my goodness. I am good. Can't you see I am good? I have given you evidence enough to know that I am good to you. In spite of you, regardless of what you do, regardless of who you are, I'm telling you every day, I love you, I delight in you, I have died because of you. Can't you see? I am good. Let us know the goodness of God. Because he is a loving father. He loves us. So regardless of the lies of the enemy, you need to remind the enemy daily that my God loves me. And there is nothing that will ever change that. There is nothing I do. There is nothing I'm doing. There is nothing I'll ever do that will change that love that is in Christ Jesus. Number three, we should not lose hope. We should not lose hope. Regardless of what we go through, regardless of the disappointments that we face in our life, we should not lose hope. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. We find David in the book of Samuel, chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now David, his son is dying. And his servants tell him, David, your son is dying. And David goes in on his knees and he's praying. He's seeking after God for his son. For seven days, he's seated in, in ashes. He has removed his royal robes. He's seated in ashes. He's, he's interceding for his son. And his servant come and tell him, David, can you eat? And David said, no, I'm, I'm interceding for my son. And he continues to pray. And then the son dies. When the son dies, his servants are so afraid to go and tell him, David, the son, your son is dead. Because they think if he was like that, as miserable as he was when the son was still alive, how is he going to be when he hears the son is dead? And David sees them behaving funnily and he says, is my son dead? And they say, yes, your son is dead. And David gets up and he goes to the shower and he has a shower and he dresses up and he goes to the house of the Lord and he worships and he praises the Lord and he worships and he comes out and he tells his servants, give me food, I want to eat. And so the servants tell him, we, we don't understand when the son was still alive, you were there in ashes, pleading and, and pouring your heart out. Now the son is dead. You go get dressed up. You go worship. What's going on? And David says, when he was still alive, there was an opportunity for me to seek God for his life. But now that he's dead, I'm not going to live at that place. I'm not going to live in that disappointment. He's not going to come back to me, but I'm going to him. I have that hope in Jesus that one day I will, I'm going to see him. One day we are going to meet. So I'm not going to let the current circumstances drive me from achieving my future hope. I'm going to hold on to that hope that I am going to heaven and I'm going to meet him. 
I want to speak to you. You who is suffering as a result of disappointment. You are suffering because something in your life has happened and has drawn you down, has brought you down. I want to tell you and encourage you, get up from the floor. Get up from the ashes. Because the enemy wants you to stay down and not look up where your hope lies. He wants you to remain down in mourning, in crying, in whining. But there is nothing you are going to achieve where you are on the ground. I want to tell you, get up from where you are and look up. Because there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. This life is not the end of our journey. It is just the beginning of a greater journey that we will last through eternity. In your greatest loss lies your greatest victory. If you live to recognize that in your time of your greatest loss, lies an opportunity for the greatest victory. You will live for Christ. So have that hope. Have that hope to continue seeking the heart of God, to continue seeking the heart of God, to continue reading Psalms until you find something that will connect your heart with the presence of God. I came across this poem, and I think it explains better, by Ruth Green. I have dreamed many dreams that never came true. I have seen them vanish at dawn. But I've realized enough of my dreams, thank the Lord, to make me want to dream on. I've prayed many prayers when no answer came. Though I've waited patiently and long, but answers have come to enough of my prayers to keep me praying. I've trusted many a friend that failed and left me to weep alone. But I have found enough of my friend that are really true, that makes me keep trusting on. I've sown seeds that have fallen by the way for the birds to feed upon. But I have held enough golden shells in my hand to make me keep sowing on. I've drunk from the cup of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days without a song. But I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me keep living on. You see, the problem I have is that my disappointment is not born out of doubt because I know what my God can do. I'm going to say that again. My disappointment is not born out of doubt because I know what my God can do. My God can do everything. My God can do anything. But my disappointment is God always doesn't do what he can do. And that disappoints me. I know in any of the situations you are going through, in any of the circumstances we know through, I know that in an instant, God can bring healing. In an instant, God can bring deliverance. In an instant, God can bring breakthrough. But the reality is, God doesn't always. And that is the greatest disappointment for a Christian. Because you know your God can do it. 
But then he doesn't. Or does he not? I live through like this life. I've seen good people suffer terrible things. But on the other end of the stick, I've seen some really rough people having it so easy in this life. I've seen young babies so innocent dying of cancer. But I've seen some really horrible pedophiles living over 100 years. And sometimes my heart breaks to ask God, why? Why is there this imbalance of good people suffering and bad people seemingly having it easy? And as a Christian, it is something that you're going to grapple with throughout your life. Failed expectation is the heart of every disappointment. When your expectation is not met, met, you're going to be disappointed. But our disappointment is being born out of having our eyes set on the wrong thing. Because for us, we are looking at things in the natural we are looking at things as of, I want it now. We are looking at things in terms of, what are my needs at the moment? We are looking at things as, what is going to make me happy? But I'm sorry to disappoint you. The reality is, Jesus did not come to make you happy. That was not his vision. That was not his aim. That was not his job to make you happy. Yes, you are happy and joyful in, this, in Jesus, but that was not the ultimate reason that brought him to heaven to come to you. He came to save you so that you can have life and have it to the full. Not that you can be happy for two days and be sad for the rest of your life. Not that you can be joyful now and then tomorrow you are in tears. He came so that he can mend that relationship that God had with man so that for eternity you will forever dwell in the presence of God. So I'm sorry if you are not happy now. I'm sorry if you are not disappointed, if you are disappointed now. But that is not the real, real reason why Jesus came for you. So if you just get your eyes off of your feelings and things that are bothering you at the moment and lift your eyes up to where you are going, to the hope that he has promised you, then regardless of what you are going through at the moment, you will have a reason to be joyful. We see Jonah being disappointed with God. Jonah was sent to go and preach in, 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 in Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to, to Tatwish. Because he thought that God is going to be soft enough to, 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 to save the people of Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going there. Because my feelings are that those people don't deserve being saved. And he went 
different direction because he was disappointed that God is going to save. I meet another character, Elijah. Elijah had demonstrated the power and the might of God and he had slaughtered 450 Baal prophets. And Elijah is running away because Jezebel, the wife of the king, wants to kill him. And he goes and he's hiding and then he prays to God and tells God, God, I want to die. Because I am the only one. I am the only one left. He was disappointed with God because he thought he's the only one serving God. And God told him, no, Elijah, you are not the only one. I have 7,000 other people who have not bowed their knees to bay. I meet another character called Elisha who, who replaced Elijah. And Elisha is with his servant. And the, and the place where they are in has been surrounded by soldiers. Now Elisha's servant is panicking and he tells Elisha, Elisha, we are being besieged. We are going to be killed. And Elisha is there on the floor worshiping God. And Elisha tells his servant, no, because those that are with us are more than those that are against us. And his servant says, no, because all I can see are chariots of soldiers and they are beseeching where we are. And Elisha prays to God and says, God, will you please open his eyes so that he can see And the servant's eyes are opened and he can see chariots of heavenly angels and fires and swords. And that that was around him was nothing compared to the multitude of a warhead that God had brought in their defense. He was disappointed because he thought he has been backed on a fire. I pray that God will open your eyes in your current situation, in what is happening in your heart. May you just see a heavenly vision of what God has put in your defense. Because it is nothing compared to the little thing that you are going through at the moment. I see a man of God by the name Habakkuk. Habakkuk was complaining and mourning, why? Why do the people who do bad things seem to get it easy? And the people who do good things get to get it hard. And God told Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a vision. And God gave Habakkuk a vision of what he was doing. And after Habakkuk seeing the vision of God, Habakkuk wrote this word and said, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the feed produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I pray for some of you this day that God will give you a vision a heavenly vision to see what he is doing in Adelson and Chelsea, to see what he's doing in your family that you think is broken, to see what he's doing in your life that you think that it's such a mess. I pray that God will give you such a vision. I meet a man called Job. Job was a servant of the Most High God and he was serving God faithfully, but then the enemy struck and all his wealth and all his livestock all disappeared. Then the enemy went into his children and killed all of them. 
Then as if that was not enough, he put diseases of him and sores all over his body. He sat in ashes. He was crying and everybody around him told him, curse God and die. But Job said, I'm not going to curse God. And even his relationship, his marriage suffered because his wife told him, Job, it's about time you curse God. But Job said something that I think each one of us should say. Should say. He said, we don't just receive good from God and then fall off when disappointment comes. Ashes, I came from ashes and I will return to ashes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is a prayer, that is a desire that I desire for myself and for all of us, that we be at that place where we will say, I do not just receive goodness from God and then fall off when disappointment comes. But I will be that kind of a Christian who will say, blessed be the name of the Lord in time of turmoil, in time of disappointment. I see John the Baptist John the Baptist had preached about Jesus, prepared the way of the Lord. He knew who Jesus was. But in his time in prison, he's waiting to be executed. He is in prison. And he might have been disappointed and wondering, where is this Jesus? I thought that I was preaching the Messiah is coming. Where is he? And he sends his, his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you actually the one or should we be waiting for someone else? And Jesus tells the disciples, you go and tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, demons possess are set free. And blessed is he who doesn't stumble on these things. And John must have been disappointed because he thought that Jesus is going to rescue him from freedom. But John was executed and Jesus continued preaching the gospel of relationship between God and man. Because he had his focus at that moment on his freedom. And then I see Paul later in life being struck by an illness in his body and he prays three times a day telling God, can you get out of this? Get me out of this illness. Get me out of this thorn in the flesh. And it didn't happen. But the Lord told him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is manifest in your weakness. And Paul goes on to say, I will delight in my weaknesses. I will delight in my persecution. I will delight in the troubles that I go through. Because at that moment when I am weak, then God is his strong. And that is the life that we need to lead as Christians. We need to be people who will recognize that regardless of what we go through, it is nothing compared to the joy that we will find in Jesus. So what is your disappointment? Is your disappointment with your family? Is your disappointment in your marriage, in your relationship? Is your disappointment because your children are not turning out right? Is your disappointment as a result of a job and how you are being treated at work? Is your disappointment as a result of a church and how your leaders are treating you? Whatever your disappointment, I want to tell you this time that people are not your problem. 
Those that you think, this person has hurt me. This person has pained me. He is my problem. He is the source of my heart and pain. People are not your disappointment. And people, if people are not your disappointment, they shouldn't be your focus either. So stop wasting your time on people. Stop wasting your time on how he has made me feel and how um, I feel in their presence. Stop wasting your time in, oh, I should have been treated this way or made to sit this way. Stop wasting your time. Because that is the scheme of the enemy to continue focusing on the wrong thing. But I would like to invite you to shift your focus from people and look at Jesus. Look at him on his journey. Disappointment after disappointment, yet it never deterred him. And in his last hour, he was deserted by everybody and he was left alone. And to make the matters worse, God, his father, that they had had a relationship since the foundations of the earth, turned his face away from him. Why? Because of your sin and because of my sin. Jesus suffered the greatest disappointment of all. For the first time in eternity, he couldn't access his father. And all that he did because of his great love for you, and for, for me. And he did that just to show you that he has nailed disappointment on the cross. And it doesn't have any hold on you anymore. So take your eyes off your disappointment and lift up your eyes to the hills from whence your help come from. Your help come from the heavenly father who made heaven and earth. He is who we have hope in.